As some of you know, that I've been traveling quite a bit the last couple of uh, weeks. I know it's cliche, but there's a whole lot of truth in cliches. So here's one for you, okay? Kids ask, are we there yet? Often. <laughs> quite often. Well, you know, my friends, let me tell you something. We are there, wherever there is tonight. We have arrived. After seven weeks of counting from the second day of Passover until tonight, we are finally at the foot of the mountain. According to the tradition, tonight is the third day of a ceremonial reenactment of an original three-day period, Hagbalah. It's kind of a period of preparation where the Israelites were told, take three days before revelation. So tonight is right? The day before. So we're in the last of those three pre-revelation days, the Hagbalah. And so it raises the question for all of us, right? How do we prepare to receive Torah? What does it mean to receive Torah? And what might it mean to prepare? And 49 days have been a pretty long preparation when we're not even sure when we're going to get there. Right, but wait a second, you're saying, didn't you just say that we're there? We're not even sure when we're going to get there, but we're there. We do know when we're getting there. That's what you're thinking. Tomorrow night at the JCC at the 92nd Street Y, Abed Beth Elohim, or wherever you might be, cheesecake in hand, <laughs> front row seats, you are going to reveal and be given Torah. You know the time and the date, it's tomorrow. Well, let's not go too quickly. The strangest thing about Shavuot, everybody, and the connection that it has with Torah, let me say that again, the strangest thing about Shavuot, the, the festival of weeks, and its connection to Revelation at Sinai, it's standing at the foot of the mountain, is this. You're going to guess it, right? There's no connection. There is absolutely no connection. Shavuot is mentioned five times, no fewer than five times, in the Torah. And never once is Shavuot connected to Mount Sinai, to the receiving of Torah on Mount Sinai. It is baffling. Five times in Torah, and the only mention, the only mention is of an agricultural holiday called Shavuot that represents a celebration of a wheat harvest. We bring loaves of bread on Shavuot at the end of counting 49 days. No mention of a historical event called Revelation at Sinai. And let me tell you something. When the Torah wants to tell us about a historical event, a historical reason for a holiday, it knows how to do so. Take, for example, the other two pilgrimage festivals, Passover and Sukkot. Even though these holidays are also represented to us as an agricultural holiday, right? Passover is Chag Aviv. It is the springtime. There's a harvest there. There's also Sukkot, right? The ingathering in the fall time. We know that there are historical events that are connected. Passover is the leaving of Mitzrayim. I'm just seeing if everybody's connected, yeah? Passover is the historical event that commemorates the Exodus. Sukkot is the historical event that represents what? Being in the desert and needing little booths, 
ולמען ידעו דורתיכם, כי בסוכות הושבתי את בני ישראל והוציא אותם מארץ סוכות זה היסטוריקל אבנט, זה אגריקולטורל ואין זה היסטוריקל. In each of those five parshiot, not once do we hear Matan Torah. And that's not it, guys. When does the Torah tell us that this so-called Matan Torah, the giving of Torah on Sinai, when does the Torah actually tell us it happened, right? When does it, what's the date for it? Because we're all going to show up tomorrow night somewhere. When the Torah wants to let us know that there's a precise date for a Jewish holiday, it goes out of its way to tell us so. Right? Passover is on a specific date. Sukkot is on a specific date. All of the other dates in the Torah are specific days. With regard to Revelation at Sinai, Mamad Har Sinai, Matan Torah, we're told that the Jews arrived in the desert, in the Midbar, on, in the third month, but we're not told what day in the month they arrive in the Midbar. The verse tells us in Exodus 19, which we'll read on Shavuot, in the third month, B'nai Yisrael's of their departure from Egypt, on that day, on this day, by Yom Hazet, they came to Sinai. Not only is the phrase, on that day, ambiguous, we have no way, it's difficult to determine how many days actually transpire between the arrival at Mount Sinai, even when they get to the mountain, And then when the Torah is given, if you look at the verses, right, we don't know how long Moses goes up the mountain and then he comes down the mountain and then there are three days that I'm telling you, we have no idea. It doesn't ever say anywhere in the Torah what date the revelation takes place on. Now, that should, I mean, it should bother you. It bothers me. Anybody bothered? Revelation at Sinai, Torah, big deal. Not just days off from school, but 49 days counting towards an event, and it doesn't say anywhere. The rabbis have to, in some very profound way, they have to figure it out. And even when they finally figure out that it's probably the sixth or seventh day of the month of Sivan, the third month of the year, which almost always corresponds with the 50th day of the counting of Shavuot, It could be 50 or 51. In fact, get this, historically, it wasn't always on the 50th day that we celebrated Matan Torah. Sometimes, depending on the year before, it could be the 51st day. So you'd show up at the JCC, you'd have your cheesecake, and, and the whole night, it's not happening. It's happening the next day. Two questions that are perplexing. Number one, Why is Shavuot, the holiday of the harvest of wheat and of bread, a holiday that is the culmination of a 49-day counting from the second day of Passover, why is that holiday connected to the revelation of Sinai, the giving of Torah? Question number one. Number two, why doesn't the Torah just flat out tell us when Matan Torah, when revelation at Sinai takes place? Just give us a date. There's a great German rabbinic figure named Rabbi Shimshon Rafael Hirsch. He offers a very comprehensive answer that basically answers both of these questions in one fell swoop. His contention is that the link between both of them is that we only know about both of them through the rabbinic tradition. He says... 
that knowing the date, not from the Bible itself, but from the rabbinic oral tradition, is what places its supremacy hierarchically above the written Torah. The oral interpretation, the rabbinic engagement with text is what is so profound. And so for him, the answer is both of those questions are answered through the oral law, through the Torah. The giving of the written Torah, something that is obviously needs a day to be celebrated, is only alluded to. And the answer is rabbinic in order to teach us that human interpretation and co-creation of the divine word is above the divine word itself. Nice. Very beautiful teaching. I thank you, Rabbi Hirsch. It answers both questions. I want to offer a different answer. Here's my take. We don't know when the Torah was given in any precise way, whether it's the fifth day, the sixth day of Sivan. We have no idea when the Torah is actually given because by ambiguating and making unclear when Torah happens, the Torah reminds us that there is no day when Torah is given. There is no day when Torah is given because every day Torah is given. We prepare and prepare and wait and we learn to release the apprehensive and anxious anticipation and overinvestment in some big event. Charleston Heston, right? Charleston Heston. Here it is, a big moment. And the Torah comes along and says, you know something, Carol? Maybe it happened on the 50th day. Maybe it happened on the 51st day. We don't know. So be ready. We don't know, so be ready. What is important is that we are ready to receive the Torah, to be on the lookout for revelation, to be on the lookout for moments of transcendence where we, in the words of Levinas, become the site of transcendence. The site of transcendence. That we ourselves are Mamad Har Sinai. Each and every one of us, each and every moment of our lives are standing at the foot of the mountain. It could have been the 51st day, the 60th day, the 80th day, but you prepared 49 days and then you waited. You were ready to receive. Many of you know the famous saying of the Baal Shem Tov who said that a voice calls out from Sinai every day and few hear it. A voice is calling out continuously from Sinai and only a few hear it. I sat this week with a friend and this friend told me a story. He said he was on the way to a funeral for a dear friend of the family and on that way, in the limo, to the cemetery with his friend's family, he was sitting in the limo with his mother. He and his mother have always had a really beautiful relationship, but my friend always wished that his mother had expressed to him a little bit more loving, physical affection, a little bit more tender touch. He would often say that to me, you know, my mother and I have great conversations, but when I go to touch her or hug her, it doesn't feel so comfortable. He was always jealous, he said. He would look and see mothers and sons holding hands, and he would feel envious. So he's on his way to the cemetery, and he's with his mom, and he feels Mount Sinai. He reaches his hand across, 
He said, a chasm of years of frozenness. And he laid his hand on his mother's hand. He could feel his mother's discomfort. She started fidgeting and flitting with the hand, and he just held her. He held her, his mother's hand for what felt like to him an eternity. He told me that he felt that surprised by the certain, he was surprised that, that it could arise like that. He just was not even prepared, quote unquote. He wasn't thinking that it was going to happen that day, and he was in the car. But he stepped into the moment. There was a voice that was calling out from Sinai that he heard. And he held the fear together with his courage. And a moment of deep transformation was literally at hand. So I'm in this grungy airport in Bucharest a month ago, and it's kind of drab and dark. I'm with a group of young Jewish leaders who are on a mission with a lowercase m and a mission for the UJA. And as we're waiting online to board our plane, someone's carrying a small portable little stereo like amplifier, and it's hooked up to her iPhone. And before you know it, given that all of us were the same age, you probably guessed it, maybe not, the Indigo Girls were on in Bucharest, right there in the airport. I wrap my fear around me like a blanket. There's more than one answer to these questions pointing me in a crooked line. And the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find. Yeah, right? Closer I am to find, yeah. The Torah says, you wrap your fear around you like a blanket. I'm afraid. I'm counting up anxiously for that day, and there's my mom's hand. There's my brother's phone call. There's my father's death. There's my life. Am I ready? And the less I seek my source for some definitive date, the closer I will be to being ready. So how would I live my life knowing that revelation could surprise me and I'd miss it if I wasn't prepared? Now as for the first question that I asked about Shavuot and its connection to Torah, for me the connection is obvious. Bread in the ancient world represented abundance, sustenance, the material itself. We even have an idiom, and I'm coming back from Berkeley, so I know this might not be an idiom in New York anymore, but like when you talk about money, you say bread, right? Kol mizonotav shaladam kitsuvinlo mazon is bread, it's sustenance. So we leave Egypt and we eat poor man's bread. The unleavened bread, we make our way one day at a time towards the holiday of celebration of not poor man's bread, but bread of abundance, of the wheat harvest, and we bring those two beautiful loaves of bread on Shavuot. But the Torah is emphatic about what satisfies our hungers. There's a well-known verse in the Torah that says, Ki lo adam, ki al kol piv adonai adam. That we can't live by bread alone. We have deeper hungers, deeper yearnings, deeper needs. Bread, whatever the bread is, if it's financial bread, 
if it's personal capital, if it's a successful, whatever it is, successful career, whatever you got. The holiness of money and the holiness of bread is this. As Rabbi Erwin Kula said last night, that one of the greatest sadnesses of our generation is that we buy things and we have everything around us, but we forget that there are things that money will never be able to buy. Shavuot is the holiday that is the receiving of Torah because it is the holiday of bread. And with that hot bread on Shavuot, that harvested wheat, we receive an injunction. Are you still hungry? Are you hungry for those things that bread can't satisfy? Are you hungry for the things that only Torah can give you, that only revelation can offer, that only illumination can bring? Are you satisfied? Or are you still hungry, right? Dos aquí. Are you still thirsty, my friends? Are you still hungry, my friends? Shavuot is a holiday that says, are you ready and are you hungry? Not for bread, not for cheesecake, but for wisdom, for meaning, for purpose, for love, for humility. So I'm going out of here tonight, and I'm getting ready for tomorrow night. And I don't really know. I don't know. Two questions, one holiday. Are you hungry? Are you ready? And I can say for myself, I'm hungry, and I'm ready. Are you guys? <laughs>